You are listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is the second part of the series called Rediscovering the Gospel. Today's message, given on September 17, 2017, is titled Behavior Modification versus Gospel Transformation. I think some people say, yeah, the gospel is what you need to begin the Christian life, and that is absolutely correct. There is no other way to begin the Christian life other than by what Jesus did on the cross. But the gospel has ramifications also for how we live the Christian life. So no matter where you are on the map of faith, if you're just getting started or you're thinking about getting started, that's awesome. You need to hear the gospel. But also, if you've been a Christian for quite a while, sometimes what happens is we drift away from the core of the gospel, and we need to be reminded of the gospel because it has things that we need to remember to continue to live the Christian life. And we'll get more into that later. Uh, Last week, we gave a really introductory message called, What is the Gospel? And that is the starting point. And today, and for the next few times, we're going to start looking at some of the ramifications of living our life under the control of Jesus, live filled by the Holy Spirit, but keeping the gospel in mind as we make decisions. And um, I, I got to start by telling a story. Um, my kids always cringe whenever they hear a story because they're like, all right, which one of us it is, is it about today? And today, Nicole has the honor. But um, actually, for all, I, I have uh, three daughters and one son. And, you know, There's one thing a father of daughters has a lot of fun with, and that's when guys start to come around, when they're interested in your daughters. Um, I'll never forget one time uh, Lauren and Nicole were, I think, in uh, high school, and one of them just started driving or something. And, uh, you know, we were, this was before we started here, so we were at the Northport campus. And after church, I see, uh, I think Lauren was driving, and, I, and Nicole and uh, Robbie and Joanna were in the car. And there was also this guy, and Ann and I were actually going out to do something else. And I'm like, uh, what, excuse me, what's he doing in the car? You know, because I knew they were going back to the house. I'm like, what, what's going on? They go, oh, we're going to go to the house and, you know, have lunch and do something. And then I look in and I look right at him and I go, you know, I know where you live. I know how to make you disappear where nobody would find you. And I just started saying these dad things, you know, dad thing. But, you know, and then he's just kind of, you know, cringing and everything. And, he, and as they pulled away, he says, you know, girls, I don't know how you're ever going to get married with a dad like him, you know, because, I mean, he was shaking in his boots. But that's what dads of daughters are supposed to do, you know? And uh, any of you agree with me on that? Amen. Amen. All right, all right. So anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's go a little further. So N- Nicole is now older, and uh, there's this guy that's interested in her. And I have to say, it's not Jeremy. So don't, it's, this is pre-Jeremy. So, you know, just I got to be real clear about that. Don't think bad of Jeremy. He's a great guy. But there's this guy, and he's interested. So I I had this saying, I said to my girls, I said, listen, not only am I your father, I am also your agent. And if anyone wants to date you, they have to negotiate with the agent first. And this way, if, like, somebody's interested in you and you're not really interested in them, you know, I can take care of that nicely, you know, and so you don't have to you know, do that. But also, you know, I, I know you guys, and I want to know who is interested in you. 
so that I can kind of see, is, is this you know, going to work or is this a problem? And yeah, Joanna's cringy because she hasn't had that yet, you know. Oh, the email. Yeah, it's a different story. So anyway, so, so this is the deal. So here we go. So now all of a sudden, I think Nicole is a senior in high school at this time, junior in high school. And so this um, guy is interested, and he just started coming to church, and uh, I didn't really know him. And so, um, you know, he said, I- I'd like permission to date your daughter. I said, well, um, we got to get to know each other first. So we did get to know each other a little bit, and you know, I, I figured, all right, um, you know, this is good, but hey, this was really my first time. And the first time through things, you know, dads aren't so good at stuff. And so I missed some stuff, although I think it wasn't just me. I think, you know, he ended up, you know, I mean, they didn't do anything bad, but he really hurt Nicole a lot by some of the things that he did and his attitudes and uh, just, you know, verbally saying things and Whatnot. And so when Nicole got to be a senior and she went to a, uh, the camp, camp of the Woods, after, God really showed her that he was not the right one for her. And so Nicole very bravely broke up with her. And then, of course, that caused in youth group, there's always drama when some couple breaks up. You know, half the people want to follow one and half the other. And it seemed like most of the kids went, you know, on his side because, oh, why could she break up with him? But Nicole didn't want to defame him or anything and didn't tell all the stuff that went on. And so it really caused a lot of problem. And of course, you know, he came and he wanted to do the apology for some of the stuff. But quite frankly, it was one of those uh, how can I say it was a very scripted apology? You know, it was almost like he had memorized a little couple sentence speech. And, he, you know, he just said this stuff. And we're like, well, thank you for saying that. Is there anything else you want to say? He goes, no, that's it. All right. And, you know, you, you kind of feel like, okay, this was just a formality. Somebody must have told him he needed to do this. And it was not really a heartfelt apology or anything. And we just said, oh, well, whatever. So, um, you know... Now we fast forward uh, two and a half years or something like that. And uh, now boyfriend number two is coming on the picture, and that is Jeremy. <laughs> and so I, you know, we, we now were here in Holbrook. So, you know, Jeremy was attending the Northport campus. I, I didn't know Jeremy. I mean, I just knew him. He was Robbie's camp counselor at uh, Northern Frontier. And Rob's like, oh, Jeremy's a great guy, you know, and everything. And, uh, but, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, well, so Jeremy came to me and said, I'd like permission to date your daughter. I said, well, problem is I don't know you, so you got to date me first. <laughs> and he, I don't know what he was thinking. I, we will go there, but I said, no, 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 let's go out for coffee or we'll go out for breakfast or lunch. And, you know, I, because I, I just had to say, I, you know, I, Nicole had a bad experience and I thought I knew this person and you know, she thought she knew him, and he wasn't the person that he advertised himself to be. So, you know, I, I, insanity is doing the same thing again and expecting different results, you know. So I hope I'm not an insane person. Um, but so anyway, so we started hanging out. And, you know, we'd get together like every week or two for a while. And, um, but then an interesting thing happened uh, in October. This started, I guess, in September when I started to hang out with Jeremy. And then in October, um, <clears throat> we got a phone call or a message, I think, from Facebook. Ann actually got it uh, from ex-boyfriend. And it was interesting because he said, I would like to meet with um, Ann and myself and Nicole because there's something I'd like to tell you. And so we're like, 
okay, we'll meet. And so we set up a meeting time. And on that same day, Jeremy and I went for coffee or lunch. I don't remember what it was. Oh, Chinese food. Very good. Yeah, I love Chinese food. And so we went there and, you know, he said, well, um, have we gotten to know each other well enough? And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to actually ask Nicole to start dating me with your permission. I said, yeah, I think I, I like you. I think it's good and everything. But there's one problem. I want you to wait until after tonight because we're having a meeting with the old boyfriend. And I have no idea what this is about. Now, imagine poor Jeremy. I mean, you know, stuff must be going through his head like, whoa, you know, here I am. I got permission to, you know, date his daughter. And now the ex-boyfriend is coming on the scene. Well, I don't know what's going on. I said, listen, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. But, hey, I don't know what it is. And, you know, you can ask Jeremy after the service how he felt at that. But he's just, he's just shaking his head right now. So... You know, what, what do I do in situations like this? I pray, and I just say, Lord, look, you are obviously up to something in this situation, and we trust you. I want to see what happens. And so I pray that this would just all work out according to your good plan and to your good purpose. And so we had the meeting, and, uh, you know, I, of course... Now, I, of course, couldn't tell Nicole anything because I knew Jeremy was going to ask Nicole out that night. You know, I have to play dumb, you know. I can play dumb pretty good, you know. But, um, but anyway, so here, here this is going on. But I also know, and Nicole knows, that we're meeting with the, the ex. And so uh, it, it was a little awkward there. And, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine what Jeremy was thinking. But anyway, so here we go. So we have the meeting with the ex. And... He had something astonishing to say. He said, and there was no script this time. He said, listen, I really need to apologize to Nicole and to Anne and to me. Because, you see, I thought I was a Christian back then. But I realized I had not been transformed by Jesus And I've been in a different ministry at that time, and somebody was really helpful to him. He says, I realized that I wasn't a Christian. All I was doing was practicing behavior modification. And I am truly sorry for what I did. Would you forgive me? And, you know, of course, the tears flowed. And, you know, and Nicole, you know, forgave him and everything. And now I'm just like, so I know I never expected that. I never expected that. And now I know what's coming next because Jeremy and Nicole are going to get together, but I can't say anything. So, you know, I just like, well, I said, said, wow, well, thank you. I'm so glad that you found true saving faith in Christ. And I'm so glad you realized that what you thought you were, you weren't. And I'm so grateful that, you know, you had the courage to come and make this right because this was now two and a half years later. You know, now that doesn't usually happen. You know, but that shows the power of clearing the slate. That shows the power uh, and the freedom that comes from forgiveness. So we all said goodbye. And then, uh, you know, Jeremy and Nicole got together and, you know, they, they can tell you what happened there. But, you know, he, he asked her out. But listen, isn't that just so like God? Because there was this unsettled 
unresolved conflict that even though it was a while ago, you know, and it probably got pushed to the background, still those sort of things still come to the surface or could come to the surface. And isn't it amazing how God had orchestrated the timing of those encounters so that there could be forgiveness and not restoration, but forgiveness, resolution, that's the right word, before Nicole was about to enter into a relationship with Jeremy that ultimately now they're engaged and going to be married and all that, which I approve. And uh, yeah, so uh, listen. But what I want to talk about today was that saying, behavior modification. You see, there is a difference between gospel transformation and behavior modification. And Christians get that mixed up. I mean, I, look, if you're not a Christian, you don't even understand what gospel transformation is about. But if you are, there is a difference. And this is important because people do deceive themselves. You know, parents want their kid to become a Christian at a young age, but sometimes they, they force the kid, you know, to go to things, you know, go here, go there, pray a prayer, whatever. And the kid has not really had a true heart conversion. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get this tree to grow fruit, but the, 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 the tree is not growing fruit. And so it's like they're taking little plastic red apples that you put on your you know, table at Thanksgiving, and they're tying those apples onto the tree. So they can say, hey, look at the fruit, but that is not real fruit. Okay? That's behavior modification. Okay, and the gospel is so different. So we're going to look at the difference between that. I'd like you to turn in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in your, in, in your Bibles. We're going to read a passage on, of this, and this is so key. And this was actually the passage that motivated me to do this series called Rediscovering the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 1. Apostle Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, circle remind, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, circle that phrase, being saved, if you hold fast, circle hold fast, to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of First importance, circle that first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared, and I'm not going to read on, but he appeared to a whole list of people, which are in in your word there. Okay, let's take this apart, okay? First of all, he is saying this. He goes, I would remind you, brothers... And I'll say it's brothers and sisters, okay? Because he's talking to believers. He's not talking to the unconverted at this point. He's talking to believers, and he's saying, I need to remind you of the gospel. You know, you guys, you know the gospel, but I still need to remind you of the gospel. And that's why I feel that it's so important for those who have trusted in Christ that we need to be reminded of the gospel because, quite frankly, we live amongst people who do not know and understand the gospel. And if we're not reminded of the gospel, I think it's really possible that the attitudes of 
the people who are not yet Christians that are all around us every day will tend to seep into us and we will get confused with the true gospel, which Paul is saying he needed to remind the brothers of the gospel, okay? And it's the only way by which you're being saved. You know, we always say, when did you get saved? Well, that's true. There is a point. Everyone has a first point. But it is a process. Salvation, there's a legal component to salvation, which is being declared forgiven and righteous, and that we call justification. But there is another component to salvation, and that's why he says being saved. And that's the part we're going to talk about a little later called sanctification. I know those are big words, but we'll unpack them. But he says you're being saved if you hold fast. In other words, I'm hanging on to this word. I am not going to trust this word and then this thing over here and this saying from this guru and this teaching from some, you know, quack and all these things. No, it's like we need to hold fast to what? The word, okay? We have to hold fast to the word unless you believed in vain. And when it talks about believing in vain, I think that's probably what happened to that young man up until the point at which he truly believed the gospel. He was believing in vain in these things that were trying to cause his behavior to change without having the transforming power of God at work in his heart. Okay? And so, you know, and then this is kind of a great review of what we talked about last week. He says, For I delivered to you, as of verse 3, first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Do you see what is Paul doing? He is always pointing back to the scriptures. You know, this was not some cleverly invented plan. This was preordained of God and it was prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament. And so many of these predictions and prophecies were pointed to and were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's according to the script that God wrote, and then it played out in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the first importance. So to just sort of review what we talked about last week, we said there are four aspects to the gospel, and there's a one word that we could use to describe each of them. I'm not going to go into much detail because we got a lot of new material. If you missed it, you can go online and hear it. But the four words are God, man, Jesus, response. God created us, and we are accountable to him. Man, we have a problem. We have all sinned, and we deserve punishment for that sin, and so that's our problem, but we can't solve our problem. God had the solution through his son, Jesus Christ, through living a sinless life, um, dying on the cross, being resurrected, and that is God's solution to our problem of sin, and it requires a response. And the response is repentance and faith. Now, I want to just go into a little bit more detail on the word repentance. You know, I talked about repentance is turning from sin and turning to God. Well, a little more detail on that. The word that's used, that's translated repent in English is metanoia in Greek. And it actually means to have a change of mind. So not only are we changing our actions but we are changing our minds. And F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says this, it involves a turning with contrition from sin to God. He says the repentant sinner is in the proper condition to accept 
the divine forgiveness. I find that fascinating because what it's saying is that as our minds change from self and sin and turn to God, that allows our minds to be able to fathom and to realize just what it means to accept forgiveness from a holy God and his son Jesus who did not deserve any of the punishment he took, and yet he did it so that we could be forgiven. Okay, you see, the gospel is not a whole lot of things. The gospel is not behavior modification. The gospel is not just a way to become a better person. The gospel is not just learning to become more moral. The gospel is certainly not a way to prosperity, but there are people who will try to teach you that. If you hear that, run, okay? The only ones getting rich are them if you're giving them your money, okay? Just saying, just saying, okay? The gospel is not using Jesus' life as a model to live by. You know, there's some people like, you know, I know this was popular back in the 90s. What would Jesus do, you know? And I, I, look, I get that, but thankfully that kind of fell out of favor. But some people think, oh, the gospel is just, you know, using Jesus as an example, okay? That's not the gospel, okay? Um, the gospel is not about transforming and redeeming the secular world. It's about redeeming the people in the secular world, but it's not about trying to, you know, let, let's usher in a new community here and a new morality and a new, you know, no, no, no. If you read scripture, it's not going up, it's going down, okay? All right? The gospel is not about sharing generously in communities who practice Jesus' ways, okay? These may be good things, and they're not necessarily wrong, except for the one I mentioned, but they should not be confused with the gospel because God may use them to make our proclamation of the gospel more fertile amongst people whose hearts are very hard because they'll see a difference, but they are not ever replacements for the gospel. The gospel is, as Paul said, this is the things, what I delivered to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture that he was buried, that he was raised, and that he appeared. That is the gospel, and then we have to have the right response for it. So do you see some of these things that people tend to confuse for the gospel? And that young man, he was confusing behavior modification for the gospel, and it was causing him to live a life that ultimately was not aimed at glorifying God, and it hurt, um, it hurt Nicole in the process. Okay, so that, that's one scripture. Let's turn now to the book of 2 Thessalonians. This is, this is a great passage, and I, I really want you to dig into this as we go, okay? Um, 2 Thess 2, starting in verse 13, okay? But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, Okay, so once again, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God for you, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Okay, I don't know if you realize it, but God picked you. We don't know why he picked you, but God picked you. God loves you. 
God adopts you into his family, just like a person would adopt someone who's not their kid, and maybe they're, they're, the natural parents can't keep the kid, so they put the kid up for adoption. God chose you. That should make you feel awesome. You know, I, I remember what it was like. I wasn't that athletic as a kid. And uh, when it came time in gym class to get picked for a team, you know, I was kind of towards the end of the list. And I'd be like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm good at other things. I'm just not good, you know, at this particular sport. But, you know, one time somebody actually was like, wait, I, I think you could actually, you know, it, it, with a little help, you, you could learn to slug a softball a little better. We didn't play hardball in elementary school gym. You know, we played softball. And so he actually picked me for the team. And he actually, you know, this kid actually was telling me a little bit about how to change the angle of the swing and stuff. And he says, but let's not tell the other team that. And so, you know, I got up to bat. And so, you know, every, the outfield comes in, you know, and everything. So I kind of did what he did. And I did it. And I popped that ball right over their heads. I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it was awesome. But it was wonderful to feel chosen for something as mundane as gym class softball. But, you know, imagine God chose you to be saved, to show and demonstrate his love to you, the first fruits. Now, here he goes. Here, here's that word that I was going to say. He's chose us through sanctification by the Spirit. I'll explain that in a minute. And belief in the truth. Do you see there's two concepts here? Sanctification by the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. you got to have both. To this he has called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Verse 16, now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and deed. Here's a way you can remember what we're talking about today. The gospel is more about done than do. The gospel is more about what Christ has done on the cross than about what you need to do. Yes, there's a response that we have to have. We've talked about that. But what happens is I think there are some people who believe in the grace of God, in forgiveness, and then all of a sudden they forget about the grace and they become, I got to do, 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 you know? I got to do this, I got to do that, and if I'm not doing that, da, da. and yes, there are things, and we'll talk about that, that we can do that help us grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm not diminishing that. But that becomes or should be more a response to what Christ has done rather than, you know, if we like, uh, otherwise it's almost like this. Uh, have you ever done this? Don't raise your hand. You're like, you really hope that maybe someone's going to be healed. Or maybe you hope that a certain situation is going to work out really well. So then you start to be like, oh, God. You start to bargain with God. You know, you start to be like, oh, God, um, I'm going to try to not do that thing. And would you then try to help this person be healed? Oh, I'm going to not try to not do this, or I'm going to try to start doing this. I'm going to try to start reading my Bible. Would you, would you help that situation to work out? You know what I'm talking about? 
we start to look at our relationship with God almost in a bargaining sense. And we start to try to bargain with God. And what always happens in those situations? You never bargain with God. Because number one, we're sinful. And that's the gospel. That's part of the gospel. We're sinful. That's part two. That God, man, that's part two. And we're sinful. And so we start to bargain with God, and we think we could almost put God in our debt to where, well, God almost owes me because I'm now doing this thing or I'm not doing that other thing. I'm not looking at that thing or I'm not thinking this. I'm not spending my time in that place anymore or I'm not spending my time with that person or I am spending my time with someone who's holy. And you know, We start doing this, and what are we trying to do? We're trying to indebt God to us, and you cannot do that. We cannot do that. That is religion. That is religion. Religion says, clean yourself up so that you can come into the presence of a holy God. The gospel says, we're messed up. God loves us. And God wants to show his grace to us by forgiving us. And and then he'll give us the power to clean ourselves up. That is so different. And that is so amazing. And so that's why it says that, you know, he called us to the gospel so that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, the the glory of Jesus Christ is going to be fully revealed when we meet him face to face and we can obtain that salvation. So the gospel is more about what Jesus has done than what we do. Okay, now, does that mean it lets us off the hook? Well, don't, don't go there just yet, okay? Uh, someone said this. They said, the true gospel is news about what Christ the Savior has already done for us in his life, death, re- resurrection, rather than instruction about what you are to do for God. Christ's accomplishment, not ours, is the essence of the gospel. Above all, the gospel of Christ brings good news rather than instructions about our behavior. You see, good news, it's great news that I, who on my own cannot stand in the presence of a holy God because I am sinful, it's great news that Jesus Christ took my penalty, forgave my sins, credited his righteousness to me so that I can stand in the presence. That's great news, okay? However, once Truly saved, we recognize that every wrong action, thought, or emotion is fundamentally a form of unbelief in the gospel. Think about that. Once we're truly saved, we recognize, or we begin to recognize, that every wrong action, thought, or emotion is fundamentally a form of unbelief in the gospel. You see, someone can agree with the message of the gospel, but functionally there is a deeper heart-level belief that our power, our approval, our comfort, and our security are more worthy pursuing than God. See, those are lies that the enemy of our souls has told us. And before we became believers... Those are the things we ran after. We ran after power, approval, comfort, and security. Maybe all of them or some of them. And we still get duped into believing 
that these things are worth more pursuing than God. And yet, Jesus is the only way God provided for us to be saved, so we sin when we find our meaning and our worth in anything other than who we are or our identity in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. And so some of those things that we found our identity in before, okay, we get deceived into thinking those things are still the ultimate thing. And yet we have to realize that it's not what God gives us so much that we should desire, but we should desire God himself. And you can't do that unless you've been regenerated, unless you've been born again, because people don't naturally desire God. They desire other stuff. And ultimately, and I love to talk about this, I'm not going to today, but that's idolatry. When we take something, and it might even be a good thing, but we elevate that to make it an ultimate thing, we have created an idol. And we are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So, now let's talk about that word that I mentioned twice before, sanctification. Because if you remember, um, we just read in 2 Thessalonians, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by ourselves. Is that what it says? No, no, no. It doesn't say that at all. He saved us through sanctification by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And belief in the truth. So there's two components here. So let's not forget them both. Okay, let's talk a little bit about sanctification. Sanctification, this is a definition I like from Wayne Grudem, who's a theologian. He says this, Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Okay? So it, it's, it, there's, it's sort of a partnership here. Now, there's, it's not an E50-50 partnership. It's way weighted one way, and we'll see this. But he talks about there are three stages or three phases of sanctification. The first one, sanctification begins the moment you trust in Jesus. Okay? So the initial moral change occurs when we are born again. And this involves a definite break from the ruling power and the love of sin. It may not cause a break from the actual sins because we took a long time to become, you know, acting on our sins, sinful nature and showing, and we got pretty good at it, some of us, you know, and yet it takes some time for that to undo itself. But so it's not that all of a sudden, oh, I'm saved, I'm never going to sin again. No, 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 That's that's not scripture. But it involves a definite break from the ruling, the power of sin and the love of sin. You see, a believer is no longer ruled or dominated by sin and no longer loves to sin. Yes, we may sin. That's why in 1 John it says, if we confess our sins... Oh, and by the way, who is he writing to? He's writing to the church. So he's writing to the people who have trusted in Christ. And he's yet saying, he says, if we confess our sins... Hey, if you haven't sinned, you don't need nothing to confess, right? So he's saying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So the actions still occur, but 
The key is that the power and the, is broken and the love of the sin, it, it starts to get soured. Where the point is, you're like, wow, I, I, I can't believe I used to love doing that. That's really disgusting, you know? And so that's what happens. So it begins at when we're born again or when we're regenerated. So that's stage one. But, and this is key. You got to hear this part. Sanctification increases throughout life. Okay? It's not like somebody just throws the switch and the lights go on. No, it's like we start to get more and more sanctified as we live according to, remember there was not just sanctification by the Spirit, but by the truth. And as we start to absorb and understand the Word of God, that increases our sanctification because now we start to understand what that old nature was and what should be done with it and what God is calling us to. And so it's a process. It's not an event. Becoming justified, legally declared not guilty and righteous, that happened instantly, but the sanctification is a process. So it increases through life. And the third stage of sanctification is it's completed when we meet the Lord. Whether he takes us or whether he comes, however it is, that's when it's completed. It is not completed in this life. And there are some very frustrated Christian groups that will teach you that you can be fully sanctified and fully holy in this life, and they don't understand this. And then all it does is it just lays a burden of guilt on people because they're like, gee, they taught me this. I'm not seeing it. I must not be a Christian, or I'm certainly not a very good one. And then we're defeated. You see, sanctification is not completed in this life. So now, remember I said it's a partnership, okay? Let's talk about the partnership. It's primarily a work from God, okay? Sanctification is primarily a work from God. The Holy Spirit works in us to change us and to make us more holy, okay? That's why I said the gospel is more about done than do. It's more about what Christ is doing through the Holy Spirit under the love of God the Father, but we do have a part in it, okay? We have both a passive and an active role to play in sanctification, okay? Passive means we just absorb something, okay? We're not actively doing something. And the, the passive part, okay, comes more from this. It comes more from us yielding. So it's, it's, it's not doing, but it's not doing, okay? It's saying, I'm not going to do that anymore, okay? I'm going to surrender. God knows better than me. I'm going to put up my hands and surrender, and I'm going to be passive, and I'm going to take and yield to God and do and just follow him. That's the passive part, or the passive role. Now, there's also an active part, or an active role for us, and that is greatly demonstrated in the book of Ephesians. We don't have time to read it, but there's this theme that goes in Ephesians. Ephesians starts, the first half of it is all talking about our identity and who we are in Christ. We did a study on that a bunch of years ago, and then recently we just did the second half of Ephesians, and that's where it talks about actually putting off the old, and putting on the new. And so that's our active part. 
when we yield and surrender, we're saying, I am not going to go my way anymore. I'm not going to, you know, when I go to that place, it never ends well. So I'm just going to not go there anymore. When I look at that channel or I go to that website, uh-uh, doesn't work. I'm, I'm not going there anymore. What we're actually doing is we are putting off the old nature. It's like taking off a stinky pair of workout clothes or work clothes that you just did an amazing run in or you just, you know, did an amazing backyard clear out and they just like, whoo, they're going to walk their own to the washing machine. We're taking that, we're putting that off and then we're putting on the new clothes and the new right life that Jesus gives us. And that is, that's where we can do it. Okay? I, I actually came up with this saying. I kind of like it. Sanctification, in, question, in quotations, sanctification without conversion is just behavior modification. Because we're trying to become more like Christ, or we're trying to become better people, or we're trying to become more moral, but we're not converted. And so what we're doing is we're trying to modify our behavior. So I want to close by asking you this. Have you confused the gospel with behavior modification? I'm guessing if you have, it probably hasn't really worked out well for you because you're trying to change without the power to change. If you have done that, it's time to repent. And repentance starts with changing your mind. I would ask you today to trust in Jesus fully. Trust in his completed work on the cross and then begin to yield and surrender in what he leads you to yield and surrender to. Only then can you put off and start to put on. You see, we've been told by society that the problems we face are all out there. The problem is in you know, the way we were brought up, the problem is where we live, the problem is the family in which we were born into, the problem is uh, lack of this or that. We're to always told that the problem is somewhere out there and the solution that we need, just look within yourself and you'll find the solution. Have you heard that? Of course you have. But you know what? The gospel is just the opposite. The gospel is the problem is really in our hearts and our minds, and the answer to our problems is outside of us. It's in Christ alone. And the power of the gospel comes when we look away from ourselves and we instead rely on Jesus. And as we trust him and his completed work on the cross, we receive supernatural power from God through the gracious gift of his Holy Spirit. That's awesome.